0: Hey, y'all, thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third podcast. We are talking about sports washing in this episode, what it is, the examples of it, like the Qatar World Cup and Newcastle United, the effects, the terrible effects of sports washing, and what we can do to help fight it. Side note here, we did record this episode before Newcastle United got taken over by the Saudi Arabian led consortium. So we have about a 15 minute addendum right near the top of the show to talk in depth about what that means for. Uh, uh, politics and the human rights violations of Saudi Arabia. So yeah, I also apologize for saying human's rights violations with an s. I did that a lot.
1: All right. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another deep dive episode of The Final Third. My name is Jack Sepersod, and I am a fan of Minnesota United Chelsea Football Club. Atalanta, Bergamo, Calcio, and the French and U.S. national teams.
0: And I am Aichi Spura. I am a big fan of West Ham United. That went well today. Minnesota United, that's been going well today. And U.S. national team. We'll see how that goes upcoming in October. Jack, it's our deep dive episode. Right. It's Thursday. Mm -hmm. And we are also remote because, and we're going to be remote for the next couple episodes because we are busy boys i suppose but how are you feeling on this uh what is this it was thursday when it comes out wednesday evening
1: uh pretty good you know uh chelsea won on penalties against my least favorite team in england so that's always (laughs) good uh if we had lost i would have been very sad so uh it's it's good that that they won because otherwise uh I, I might be lying on the floor behind me instead right now while recording this instead of sitting in a chair. So, uh, Jack, we're not talking about care about cup
0: today. Even though no, we're not. I, I would love to talk about cup competitions again in the future for a deep dive episode. But we're here to talk about something a little bit more serious, a little bit more loosely tied to soccer and more towards the off the field actions that soccer football has to offer us, and that is sports washing. Sports washing is a a topic that is. You know, very hot right now, given the the location of next year's World Cup, given the current power that a lot of the biggest uh, European clubs have. And so we're going to talk about sports washing, its effects, where it comes from, what we could potentially do with it, do, yeah, deal with it, I suppose. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk just in general about sports
1: washing and soccer. Jack, are you ready for this? Yeah, well, let let's kick it off, and I think the first thing that we need to talk about in a discussion of sports washing is what is sports washing? that, because that, that is that's usually
0: a, good. Definitions but, are, are usually a great way to start
1: discussion. Yeah. Jack, Jack, so, do you
0: do you have a a definition for sports washing?
1: Basically, uh, sports washing is the idea of entities or countries who have a cloudy, but at best, let's say, record. Uh, sponsors sporting events or teams or individuals in uh, an attempt to improve their reputation. So there's tons of examples of this throughout sports. It's really common in F1 driving, for example. Yeah. uh, and Which is why I believe it's the UAE who hosts uh, one of the biggest F1 uh, races.
0: Yes, you're Uh, talking to a big F1 fan. You could look towards the Abu Dhabi uh, Grand Prix, which historically was not actually the last race of the of the season it used to be brazil was usually the last race of the season but because of sports washing and abu dhabi wanting to become uh in the mainstream they sponsored f1 uh, other examples if i could kick in that mm-hmm. are not necessarily soccer related uh we can go towards historically uh the apartheid uh games that were in south africa that were mostly boycotted uh there's also some rugby games in South Africa, too. Uh, you could look at uh, Rumble in the Jungle, which is Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman in Zaire way back in the day. Though, I don't think <laughs> Zaire is even a country anymore. Zaire
1: is called the Democratic Republic of the all Congo right. now. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: you could look towards uh, the Olympic Games, They're most recently uh, happening in places like Russia and going to be in China and like all, all these different locations.
1: Yeah, and taking it way back with the Olympics, the 1936 Munich Yep, Olympics, I was going to mention that. Yeah, One of the biggest in, ones.
0: In Nazi yeah. Germany, that was uh, a very early example of sports watching. The Nazis used uh, the Olympics in order to prove how stable and how great their country is and broadcasting that to millions upon millions of people worldwide. More soccer-related, though, Jack, I think the biggest examples that people look towards Uh, towards uh, countries and corporations that own teams or sponsor teams in an attempt to mask some of their less than favorable uh, actions would be the clubs like PSG, Man City, and then some World Cups that have happened in the past, like most recently the Russia World Cup and the upcoming 2022 Qatar World Cup. Yeah. Are, any other examples that we can, I mean, we're going to talk about this some more. I, I could yeah.
1: come up with a few more just to establish some context. Yeah, One of the sure. earliest ones that I can think of, 1974, uh, if you remember way, way, way back on the show, like when I used to do Jack in Time, I talked about this World Cup qualifier between UEFA and CONMEBOL, which was Chile versus, uh you know, the USSR. And Chile, wanted to use this to show that their country wasn't like you know detaining prisoners in the stadium they were they just moved them all into the basement (laughs) and the game never happened but uh you know that's one of the early examples and then the 1978 world cup in argentina which argentina ended up winning was done by the military regime who controlled it at the time to try and prove that they were in you know good standing and most recently uh the 2021 uh the French Super Cup was held in Tel Aviv, Israel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a very recent example of this happening. And you can also think of, you know, a ton of Super Cup games happening in the likes of Qatar or uh, all around the Middle East, in Turkey as well. Um, Turkey, Qatar, uh, the UAE, Saudi Arabia.
0: I think Mm -hmm. uh, the Italian Super Cups for sure in the Middle East. I think the Club World Cup before their new reformat is usually in the Middle East. I want to say the Spanish Super Cup is also in the Middle East. though. I uh, believe so. so yeah. I might be mistaken on that. Yeah, I, I actually wrote down in my notes that super cups are a big way for clubs to partner with M- Middle Eastern countries that don't have a great human rights uh, records. You can also look towards just general partnerships. I know the Washington Spirit had a wa- partnership there, an NWSL club. A lot of controversy there. That's yep, just another yep. one. Uh, and many, many clubs have winter training camps in Qatar, in the Middle East. Many, some, some might even play a friendly with uh, some Qatari teams. Just in general, having that partnership with countries like Qatar, uh, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, that don't have a great track record with human rights, that is quintessential sports washing there. Alright, so th- this, uh, as some of you might know, was recorded about two weeks ago, before uh, a certain club got taken over by a certain kingdom, uh, and as Newcastle United getting taken over by uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and we make allusions to that not happening in this episode, so um, sorry about that, but we are here to add an addendum, uh, talking about sports washing in the context of Newcastle United. Uh, Jack, right off the bat, what are your initial thoughts about Newcastle United uh, getting taken over by Saudi Arabia? We talked a little bit about Monday, but I want to hear it again. What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I don't think it's good for uh, from an ethical perspective. From a sporting perspective, it's probably great because it's going to bring more competition to the Premier League. But the main issue is the political, the, the fact that Newcastle United, you know, a historical club, with one of the Premier League's best goal scorers uh, who, like, they had one of the uh, Premier League's best goal scorers in Alan Shearer, they, they're now going to be used as a tool of political propaganda. Yes. And I don't like to see that. Uh, that, that. That's what they're going to become, because any success that they have, it'll be great for Newcastle, sure, but it's also going to directly benefit uh, a, a kingdom that, has murdered journalists and is does not have a great human rights record, and does not have a great record on any social issues, really, uh, for yes. that matter. So it's I I don't like that uh, personally. I I think it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: very hot take from you. Just kidding. No, it's not. I yeah, so it's pretty mild
1: take, honestly. Yeah.
0: So the news about this takeover uh, are. Well, this has been going on for about 18 months or so. This uh, rumors said the takeover was happening. And just this past week, the 300-pound deal uh, from the Saudi Arabian-led consortium has ended Mike Ashley's 14-year ownership of Newcastle United. Uh, the Premier League has received legally binding assurances that the actual kingdom of Saudi Arabia will not control Newcastle United. As we alluded to on Monday, don't really know if that's true or not, if that's actually going to hold true. People are understandably upset. Mostly, human rights groups like Amnesty International, and really most people who have uh, morals on a political, <sighs> geopolitical scale. Uh, the Saudi consortium now owns eighty percent of the club, and they're talking about investing in infrastructure around Newcastle, like the Royal Victoria Infirmary, which is near St James's Park. Uh, and this is one of the points I want to talk about because we are we are later in the episode going to talk about how clubs like Manchester City invest in local cities. And particularly, this is news that really hit home for me in this particular episode, the UK government was okay with it because this meant that the UK's strong commercial and intelligence links with the kingdom can increase. Jack, what do you think about that? Is, it, is that not complete evidence that this is 100% sports washing and using this football club as a way to strengthen ties with this nation
1: i mean yeah it's 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 definitely uh, a political a political tool and it's definitely sports washing and but it's also not the first time we've seen this happen you know right. the uk and uh saudi arabia have long had a very close tie especially um since i did a ton of research on this when i was coaching a debate uh, a debate season on the topic arm sales there are, are a lot of connections with arms sales between those two countries uh but The big thing is this hasn't this isn't like a one off thing, like, but it's happened several times before. You know, why did why was PSG able to buy or sorry, wrong way around? Why was Qatar able to buy PSG? It's because France specifically uh, the the director or the president of France had had a lunch with uh, with uh, PSG's representatives and uh, the crown prince of Qatar to discuss that takeover because it would help trade relations between the countries and getting more oil into the country. Mm-hmm. Like th- this is a, a common practice and it showcases how dangerous sports washing can be because it doesn't just affect, you know, the, the, the people uh, who are supporting the club or uh, just the general public. It affects our decision makers as well and how, and directly plays into their calculus for making any decision and that could be very detrimental to public policy
0: yeah we definitely allude to it later on in the episode but uh the fact that we are almost legitimizing and normalizing saudi arabia being a part of not just football culture but culture in england in newcastle it, it is going to harm uh the, the future of uh the politics in England, and you're right, it's going to affect uh, just how much of a relationship can be established between politicians and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And that sucks to see, because we're going to be further funding, further normalizing uh, a country that supports terrorism, that supports killing journalists. like, like. No offense to Newcastle fans, but that it, there's now going to be a direct link between supporting Newcastle, supporting Joe Linton, and also supporting a country that just uh, two years ago, three years ago, was in such deep water for killing a journalist. Like th- th- it's no longer uh, 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 you know connecting the dots with sponsorships and like maybe some w- money wiring or whatever. It's literally a direct link. And so I want to talk about the fans and how they've reacted to it. Jack, uh, from what you see from the fan response between uh, the, the Newcastle and uh, uh, all, all the other Premier League fans, like how do you think that they are taking this takeover?
1: Well, they, they love it, right? Like the Geordies love it, right? They're, they're very happy uh, yeah. that, you know, because they hate Mike Ashley. And yes.
0: they, they were yeah. outside St. James's Park ch- chanting, we have our club back. Mike Ashley is finally gone. Uh, is
1: that not crazy to you? I, I mean, here, here's the thing. Their owner was terrible and refused yeah. to invest in the club. So I get that anything uh, like when, when you're looking at like a tire fire, right? Literally anything <laughs> looks better yeah. next to it. So like, I mean, that, that, that's, what, that's what we're seeing here. Uh, but the, the thing with Saudi Arabia is like, it, it's like a, t- a tire fire with like a bow on it. It's it's not it it looks better. Maybe on the outside, it looks prettier, uh, potentially because of the money. But Mm -hmm. on the inside, it's the same thing, but with even more questionable morals.
0: Yeah, you could put lipstick on a pig. It's still going to be you're still going to be kissing a pig, right? So uh, that's absolutely the case. Uh, So much so that when you really look at it, Mike Ashley's biggest offense was the fact that he just didn't invest in Newcastle United properly. What's a Saudi Arabia's consortium? What's what's their biggest offense? Literal human rights violations. Literal like war crimes. Literal murder,
1: yeah murder uh, like start have it continuing a civil war against an entire country in Yemen. Like yes yes
0: like and, and what you were alluding to is absolutely true. If you can make your football team win the fans don't care to the to the fact that that i saw on social media newcastle fans joking that they're now like huge saudi arabia fans like i i, I saw like like uh I, I i saw twitter avatars being changed to like uh saudi arabian typography saudi arabian like imagery uh yes uh, all, all that stuff i don't really want to get into like all that stuff because i that can get Uh, pretty racist pretty quickly from those people. But to see that happen, to see them so vehemently defend this regime simply because they can help the team win, and to see that from not just Newcastle fans, but other fans of football teams like West Ham United, we do not have a great owner. But if we got taken over by Saudi Arabia, I would not be supporting West Ham because I have geopolitical morals but as we are seeing this is direct evidence that football fans and you know not just football fans but people in society if they don't have a direct connection to something they won't care until it benefits them or until it hurts them directly
1: yeah um actually if i could use some uh a few political psychology concepts here sure, uh, just to absolutely. explain this uh there's a term in political psychology called identity protective cognition and That's what we're seeing. That's what we've seen every time like an example of sports watching happens, you know, automatically, you know, it's human. It's human nature to assign ourselves to live and exist in groupings, right? We want to be with uh, other people who believe or are like us. Uh, But then once this happens, it's in our nature to defend anything inside of our group, anything that affects our group. Or anyone that tries to, like, get rid of any achievements of that group. it We're trying to protect our group identity. And it goes so far to dismiss anything that seems morally reprehensible. And, you know, it usually this is explained in politics and, like, how we get, like, partisanship. But it goes for sportswashing, too. The reason Newcastle fans are going to look past, you know, anything Saudi Arabia does is because they all identify as part of the same group of Newcastle fans. And because of that, they are going to protect that identity through whatever means necessary. If someone tries to attack it, even Mm -hmm. if it means they're going to have to have to support some morally uh, reprehensible people. It's a, it's, it's dangerous, but it is human nature to do that. So Mm -hmm. I, I I think it's, it's difficult because, you know, it, it sucks because, they're they're literally becoming pawns in a greater geopolitical yes. picture, but it they're actively playing into it because uh that's just how our brains are conditioned to work, and it's it it's tough. Like you said, if you were if like West Ham got taken over by Saudi Arabia, that you wouldn't be a West Ham fan. But if that actually happens, like it, I I'm I'm actually pretty I'm I'm pretty confident that you're you would have a pretty hard time with it I, at the same time. I, I... Because I, I would
0: like to say that I wouldn't be a fan, but it would be very hard to let go of like something that I have. Like, I have a West Ham scarf right here. Like, it is actually like a part of my identity. To let that exactly. go would be hard.
1: It's because you identify with a group of West Ham supporters. So you are more likely to want to try and defend that part of your identity. And so that, that that's the tough part with this. Uh, sports washing, uh, we like it. <sighs> it's dangerous because it's not only affecting us on a political level but on a psychological level. Mhm. Yeah. And that's what makes, you know, it we we could we could talk about we could literally substitute out Newcastle and Saudi Arabia for Qatar and PSG or UAE and Manchester yes. City and it would be the same discussion we're having. But each time it gets amplified because people learn countries learn on how to make it even more effective. And that's what makes it even more dangerous.
0: Yes, absolutely. We're we're seeing the whataboutism happen where Newcastle fans were like, well, what about this bad owner and this bad club? Our, ours aren't that good. And that just further legitimizes Saudi Arabia in England. And we already talked about the outcomes and the effects, the impacts that it brings. You are increasing human rights violations. So let's talk some more about those human rights violations. In the rest of the episode that we already pre-recorded, we talk about Manchester City, Qatar, the World Cup, uh, PSG, the effects that sports washing brings, the history of sports washing, and what we can do to better understand and fight sports washing as a whole. So let's cut back to the old, not old episode, the episode that we recorded uh, two weeks ago. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. Uh, it's that, that's the main purpose of sports watching, you know, these countries, they want to be big players because they have, to be honest, some of the largest economies in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, because of what they export, hint, hint oil. Uh, and, uh, you know, they want to be seen as legitimate countries in the eyes of mostly Western countries. Yeah. So that, that's the, that's the whole drive behind this kind of thing. But, you know, that, that's, that's what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, let's dig into some particular clubs, uh, the countries that they're associated with, and potentially talk about the general effect and what they're doing to further their soft power on the general regions. Uh the first country, uh, the first country and club pair that comes to a lot of people's minds is Man City. A city football group was established, and Manchester City in particular was bought in two thousand eight. uh by Uh, The Abu Dhabi Royal Family, I believe, is how how they're referred to as. And at this point, City Football Group is not just Manchester City. It's also the likes of Melbourne City FC and New York City FC. And also a lot of other satellite clubs that you might not really realize are City Football Group teams like Girona FC, Mumbai City FC, Yokohama F Marinos in uh, Japan, Montevideo City Torque in Uruguay. City Football Group is everywhere, and that's all in the name of expanding Abu Dhabi's power to all of these different uh, countries all across the world. Uh, PSG, Qatar, 2011, uh, they got bought by Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, the ruler of Qatar. And we can look very recently, Newcastle was supposedly going to be taken over by, uh, by Saudi Arabia, in 2020 that fell apart but that was that got a lot of people talking about the soft power about uh the sports washing that saudi arabia could do because of the fact that if they buy newcastle that's gonna look really good for them because people might start forgetting about their human rights violations and instead talk about the sporting merit that they're bringing to newcastle uh and uh, going back to Man City, like and PSG in general, I suppose we could really look towards how much money they're putting into these clubs. Sheikh Mansour, uh, who owns Man City, spent 210 million buying Manchester City in 2008, and that's not just including the millions and millions of pounds of dollars that uh, the Qatari and the UAE foundation has put into these clubs like it is crazy
1: yeah uh the uae specifically on man city has put in 1.4 billion in transfers in just transfers that is uh over the past that would be 13 years and i believe qatar has put in about just over a billion as well uh because you know they've had some big signings with psg yeah
0: so Jack, we talked about some of the clubs, but I got some questions about you, All uh, right. for you about sports washing. Uh, namely, why exactly are countries that don't have these human rights, uh, great track records, going towards football clubs, going towards soccer clubs, instead of another avenue? Like why are they particularly doing this? Like what benefit is it to
1: them? Well, to start off with, think about the global reach of soccer or football. You know, it's massive. Like, you know, they they could go for, like, NFL teams or something like that, but that's that's one really tough to get into because they have franchising and European club teams generally don't. And also, you know, it's only pretty much going to reach the U.S. And they have... A lot more interest in trying to convince European countries who are closer trading partners to them to, uh, to like, uh, you know, respect them more. So that, that, that's one reason why, because it, it just has the most global reach, really. And, uh, two, you know, the, the fan culture around, uh, around football and soccer, you know, when you buy a team, the fans are, if, if you bring those fans success, they're, they're going to subconsciously think of the other of the country that sponsors it as, like, you know, a little bit better. Even if they don't, like, outwardly express it, it's still going to be in there. So it's a way to kind of influence the masses in, for a pretty cheap total as, uh, compared to other avenues, I suppose. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, it's very easy to invest in European club teams because you can just buy out... Uh, another person really you can you can submit an offer to buy that team and you know if if, if it's enough money they, they'll accept it you can't do that with other sports like the nba and uh, the nfl and nhl you know it you can't do it with those so yeah.
0: that that's interesting because I, I think that's also why sports washing is very common with f1 because they get to host their own event, mm-hmm. uh, F one is very widely watched throughout uh, the all the different continents that that put it on TV. So that, that's definitely true. Uh, I also like the the note they talk about, like football fans and uh, that kind of culture it brings up, and, and it really speaks to how hard other forms of positive PR are, because it, it's hard to just you know have commercials for say Turkish Airlines or Qatar Airways because although yes, that does work, you know, commercials are just commercials, right? It's hard to really convey the power of a country through a 30 second commercial or through other uh, social media tricks or, or you know, all these different things. But the funny thing about sports and sports fans is that a lot of them don't care about politics. A good amount just don't care about humans' rights violations, or not to say don't care, but they're at least not in the know. And so I pulled up an interesting quote from Dr. Ulrichsen of, uh, I believe, uh, Rice University in Houston, who talks about sports washing. And they say, and I'll quote directly, Abu Dhabi have an army of people in Manchester doing unpaid work for these regimes. See, that's the power that they have in terms of people's hearts and minds, that's a sports-washing element. Thousands going to bat for them. And the reaction in Newcastle has been strong already. Imagine what it's going to be like if they take over. They didn't take over. But that goes to show that it's true. And how many times have we seen Manchester City fans defend <laughs> their owners from the, the horrible things that they've done uh, with, uh, with, with the gay rights, with women's rights? It's like they don't care and it's not to say that they don't care it's simply that they put football they put soccer on a higher pedestal and so when you have a, a myriad of different fans all across the world because you know they also own nycfc they also own melbourne City FC, and all these different clubs that starts to exert a soft power on the community and it almost starts to legitimize this country abu dhabi the uae in a way that you don't really get from commercials on TV during the Super Bowl because it's more personal. It really is like they have an army of PR agents all across the world because the fact that they, the owners that, that these uh, fans have are bringing their club success and to them, politics doesn't matter, it's about the success of that club. So they'll say, they'll say anything at that point. Jack, yeah, what do you think it, about that? I
1: I agree that that's exactly what happens. Like, you know, I I I'm a Chelsea fan, and oh, I'll I admit, Roman Abramovich isn't the most, you know, <laughs> clean owner in the Premier League. We'll we'll say that to put it lightly. Yeah, because he, he,
0: there were there was reports that he bought Chelsea through the uh, guidance, I would say, of Vladimir Putin to. Mm-hmm. Uh, extend russia's power and russia's influence into uh england to the point where i think that he actually got barred from entry uh to yes, the uk i, I at believe that
1: i think that's true but also i i could be wrong on this but i think there was a case investigating that that has since been dropped or res- resolved or something like that but
0: i, I would assume because the last time i heard there wasn't anything about it uh Yeah. Yeah. I I guess this particular part we're not too knowledgeable on, but continue about Chelsea. But like,
1: he's not the best owner in the world. Like, he gets a lot, he he made his wealth through oil and selling his oil company after the Soviet Union broke down. So, kind of shady means of getting wealth. But that wealth directly contributes to success for Chelsea. So, it's hard for me to say, like, you know, oh, I, I would want Roman Abramovich out of the club because, you know, uh i i i don't like uh you know how much uh how he got his money and all that because it directly affects the performance of the club and so that that's that's a that's a bit of a tough spot and uh i, I don't know what west ham's owners do really uh so uh it, it's shady in other ways let's just say it has a
0: lot to do with adult content ah
1: okay so yes. but you you <laughs> you you don't care about that as long as they're like delivering decent seasons like last season getting into the Europa League, right? Like, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I, I think a lot of people's gripes with owners comes down to how much money are they putting into my club? Right. If, if Qatar was not putting enough money into PSG, I feel like you'll hear a lot more fans complain about that than they would about Qatar's human rights violations with the 2022 World Cup and what else they have done. So, right. I think that's, the, that's the, the big holdup when it comes to fans standing up to their clubs being used as vessels for these countries.
1: Yeah, and I mean, going off of that, I have, it's not a quantitative note, but it would be interesting to, to study, I think. But when it looked like City weren't spending a ton in the summer, right? Because uh-huh. they got greelish pretty late in the window. I, I, saw, I, I feel like I saw a lot more City fans criticizing the UAE right. Uh, before they spent like a hundred million on Jack Grealish, and then all of a sudden, pff, all stops. it's all gone. Yeah. yeah, and PSG they almost never have a slow transfer window, right? So it's difficult to to get any of that. But like last summer, uh, so the twenty 2020, twenty twenty one season, they didn't bring in like a ton of big players or anything mm-hmm. that I can think of, right? So uh, I I saw quite a few more PSG fans being a little bit more critical but as they made it further and further into the Champions League and then as that went away and the league title went away then I saw more criticism of it I yeah. feel like so it 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 kind of shows that connection between it I again not like a quantitative thing but just an observational thing
0: yeah it's re- it's hard to really quantify these things because it's hard to I don't know, have a survey where you're like, how do you feel about Qatar's Qatar's human rights violations? And then followed up with like, but how do you feel about PSG? They're doing well too. So it's hard to like really gauge that. But at the end of the day, like these teams buying success through uh, their wealthy uh, owners, it all comes down to legitimization, right? The more that we see qatar and abu dhabi in a positive light because like you see oh they're winning or oh they're leading this team to success the less you really think about them as a a human's rights uh desert you know and it's really hard to look past that when it's everywhere think about uh, just think about the emirates with arsenal you know that that is not named for no particular reason it's for the united arab emirates right? right and the fact that it's called that and it's such you know in that part of london such a normal thing even if it's subconscious it normalizes the uae it normalizes uh say the, the etihad uh with which manchester city it normalizes all of these different countries as being a part of just the, the, the normal life of Manchester, the normal life of everybody. And we see that with Qatar Airways, how they sponsor Barcelona. The more you see uh, Qatar Airways and all these different sponsorships, the more likely you are to just generally accept it, even if it is subconscious. And you know going even beyond that, we have a lot of these owners like Sheik Mansour buying countless property in places like Manchester, I think. Uh, I don't necessarily have the numbers with me, but Sheik Mansour put in a lot of money to uh, basically buy out a lot of Manchester City, Manchester property in order to extend even more power over uh, the region. actually I just pulled it up. Uh, a one billion pound pledge made in 2014 to build 6,000 houses. And he's able to do that because he owns Manchester City. And that, again, is a gateway towards more power in that region, towards legit- legitimization of uh, the power that these countries have. And I, I think that's the biggest takeaway with uh, club ownership. Jack, do you, have, do you have anything to say about this, uh,
1: sports washing with the clubs? I mean, what, one thing that, uh, that I, I'm not sure if, it, if it's uh, the right time to kind of talk about this, but before we, we recorded this episode— I was doing some research right Right. on this kind of thing to see, you know, because most people when they think of sports watching, they're like, oh, when when countries put money into things, then it means they're more respected. Like it's a linear relationship. Well, as a political methodology uh, specialist for for my political science major. I decided to go in and do some statistical analysis on that. I collected some data (laughs) from different human rights organizations on Qatar and UAE and how much money they spent each season. And I found that for every million dollars spent, their human rights rating or ranking within the world went down by Mm. 0.03 in it. So for every, you know, about 33 uh million they spend Mm -hmm. uh they end up going down a ranking
0: and and can you explain that ranking scoring system for people who might not be familiar with it
1: yeah so this is uh, i used um the human freedom index is one of them which basically classifies different categories like freedom of press and like freedom of to practice religion women's rights uh, lgbtq rights all of those kinds of things uh, and tries to distill them into scores of either like one out of 10 for each of those categories, getting a points total and then comparing it against all of the other countries. So Qatar most recently ranked at 124 and UAE ranked at 122. But before they bought those clubs, they ranked at like 105 and 106, hmm. which which is more free. And all I right. have a bit of a theory about this that, and that what is that? So those organizations are a lot more, a lot less influenced by public opinion on these things, right? Because they're using numerical scores to do this. But the real power of sportswashing isn't in that because, you know, they're, they're printing out these scores and saying, hey, they're getting less and less free. The problem with sportswashing then becomes when they try and bring attention to other organizations, they don't care. Like other governments, they don't care because trade relations with those countries went up as they spent more money on these uh, on these teams especially france and the uk i wonder what the correlation is between those two countries spiking up in trade relations wow that's
0: that's really interesting yeah so
1: I, i the the main thing isn't that you know it makes them be perceived as more free by everyone the fact is that it it gets it so ingrained with other countries and in the mindsets of the people in those countries that they no longer feel any political consequence to dealing with them and giving them further legitimization. So it's almost like a game of chess, really. Mm -hmm. It's not just about public opinion. It's about securing like lucrative government trade deals to, to other countries and stuff like that. And, uh, that that's exactly what they're succeeding in because we see this with the world cup in 2022, you know, trying to, uh, You know, other organizations saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't give uh, the World Cup to a country that's using slave labor to build stadiums. And they have a point because that is terrible. And uh, organizations like UEFA, you know, uh, FIFA, they don't care because the fact of the matter is they've been legitimized in the eyes of a lot of people in the soccer community and by governments around the world. And And because of that, they're not going to touch them anymore. And that's, that's where the success comes from. They, they've, they don't need to reach every single person in the population. They need to reach the people at the top. And that's what they're doing with this.
0: That's very interesting. And it's a great transition to the Qatar World Cup and how hard it is to get people out of their, yeah, almost ingrained mode of thinking. Because once you become so prevalent within a community, People start to accept that, oh, yeah, like Saudi Arabia is partnered with us, and that's just the way it is, instead of uh, thinking, well, that's crazy that they are. And I think that's, uh, this is a complete a speculation, but I, I might, I, I have an idea on why China is seen in a different light compared to, say, Qatar or Saudi Arabia here in the United States or elsewhere. And it's because, China does not own as many teams or is not as prevalent in a lot of people's minds as, say, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, or the uh, Qatar. That's just a, a very general theory. But I do want to talk about, of course, the Qatar World Cup. That's kind of uh, how a lot of people started thinking about sports washing in the past 10 years, how it's really like accelerated the discussion about sports washing. And so... Obviously, it's important for us to talk about it, seeing as it is next year, World Cup qualifying is happening, and talks of boycotts are still ongoing. Amnesty International and other human rights groups have called for the relocation for the longest of time since it's been awarded to Qatar very controversially in the past decade, or more notably now, the boycotting of the World Cup. Now, why exactly would they want to boycott the World Cup? Well, migrant workers were found to be living in very unsuitable conditions and were withheld from their wages. And these are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of migrant workers in the past uh, decade building infrastructure for the Qatar World Cup. Because as many people know, Qatar did not have pretty much any of the infrastructure when they got uh, awarded the World Cup bid. So they had to build everything from the ground up, that's hotels, that's roads, that's the stadiums themselves. And despite the promise of labor reforms, many watchdog groups have concluded that the daily lives of Qatar's migrant workers had not improved. All in all, thousands of workers, uh, about 6,500 was the latest uh, prediction, have died working on the infrastructure for the World Cup. This is on top of Qatar's uh, less than ideal uh, LGBTQ plus rights violations and also women's rights violations all in all not exactly the greatest place to have one of the most diverse most celebrated events of all time there's also the note that they had to move uh, the world cup from the from summer to december and all the other controversies going on with the qatar world cup uh jack do you have any uh Uh, inklings on the boycott movement right now do you do you think that's picking up steam from your general view Uh,
1: i it's it's tough to say because you know the the thing is with sports washing now the fact that it's gotten to the point where it's gotten one of these countries a world cup makes it really difficult for any country to be like yeah you know what i'm going to i'm not going to participate in sports because of the values of the country because you know it it they all want a chance at success. And, you know, I've, we, we've seen some of this, right? Uh, Norway, I think, is yep. the, the major country that we've seen have any representation against Qatar. Uh, and they were even fined by FIFA, if and uh, if I'm it, correct, or UEFA. They th- they're,
0: they're threatened to be barred from the 2026 World Cup if they boycott the 2022
1: World Cup. Yeah, so, I mean, it, I feel like... It's, it, it could pick up steam in a different world, but the world we're living in, it, there's so the, the fact that sports watching has ingrained itself so much into the minds of top officials at FIFA and UEFA, and by sports watching, I mean mostly money and ad money specifically from like, the teams that they sponsor. And, uh, but that, that's a bit of a tangent on there. No, Still, they, they, they're... It's so ingrained in their heads there that uh, no country is going to want to take the risk that because the backlash would be too huge. And, you know, these countries, especially like, uh, you know, countries like Norway with young upcoming talent and Odegaard in Holland, right? They're not going to want to risk, like, doing that to, to those players, and especially when they feel like they have a chance of qualifying to a World Cup. And especially bigger countries with, let's face it, more power, uh, in soccer and in europe thinking england france uh italy germany you know they're not going to boycott the world cup they they, they won't do it because they uh they know that they want to be there regardless and also sports washing has reached the the heads of, of those teams anyway so uh, and the heads of those countries so they're, they're not going to they're not going to flex on it and that's the sad reality. We, we kind of live in with it.
0: Yeah, once you begin to pay off those top officials, it becomes a lot harder to fight sports washing. In fact, once you get once you get awarded a team or an awarded an event like the Olympics, the World Cup, or you, yeah, like I said, you buy a team, it becomes a lot harder to reverse the process of sports washing because of the fact that you're already there. Like if, if Manchester City, if... If, uh, if the UAE pulls out and lets go of everything because we're like, ah, you can't do all the bad things you're doing. You have to let go of your ownership of this top European club. The damage is already done. The, the fact of the matter is the damage is already done. With the Qatar World Cup, there's so much that had to go right in order for uh, FIFA to pull out of uh, Qatar. And so once the, you know the ball gets rolling, it's hard to stop it. And that's what makes sports watching so dangerous, even when a lot of the people who uh, might be watching or are consumers of the said product don't really want this to happen. In fact, uh, there's a study in uh, Germany that found that 65% of German football fans are okay with a boycott. And we see this not just in Germany, but we see this in other such places that a lot of you know, fans want a boycott, at least for these bigger teams, uh, because obviously, if you ask the, a general person what they think about humans' rights, they're going to say, yeah, it, it's pretty good. So we're seeing a movement towards people uh, backing away from supporting their team at a World Cup. But it's not cut and dry because uh, we had a, a very uh, a short poll uh, on our own Twitter account that asked U.S. men's national team fans if they would support uh, a U.S. men's national team boycott on the 2022 World Cup. As many people know, we did that in 2018. Uh, Not really, we just failed to qualify. (laughs) But the majority of people said no. In fact, only 33% of people said yes, they would support a boycott. Uh, The other uh, 66%? said they were either unsure or straight up no they would not support a boycott and so obviously it's not cut and dry because you have german fans who have seen their team win a world cup what's another world cup uh that they don't win but then you have these smaller teams and i feel like this is where it's really hairy with you know trying to have uh country-wide boycotts is when you have these smaller nations like nations that might be qualifying for the very first time or the first time in a very long time, it's hard to get not only fans, but the actual leaders themselves to pull out when there's so much at stake, there's so much money that they can win, there's so many so much sponsorship deals that they can get, and there's so much exposure they can get to the, the wider audience that they'll be missing out. If they don't play Qatar's game, they don't play Russia's game, they don't play any of these countries' games, because w- without it, they, they lose out on all that revenue, and that's what makes it hard. Jack, I have some other sports watching examples if you'd like to hear some of the, the really bad effects that I think the Qatar World Cup and other events in the past have brought on.
1: Yeah, let's go for it, let's go for it.
0: So it's not just soft power, right? It's, it's not just, it's not just these, these countries and these teams legitimizing themselves and uh showing their power cuz we we see that with uh with the likes of Nazi Germany way back in the day like really showing oh we're a stable country everyone likes to live here look at all of our great infrastructure look at our great sites it's not just that even though it's going to be a major part of say the 2022 world cup in Qatar it's also about just straight up distracting people from some, some heinous events that might actually be ongoing and so we have stories from uh, the Winter Olympics in Sochi where Russia invaded Ukraine during the last week of the Winter Olympics and commenced its illegal annexation of Crimea, which you know it still obviously occupies right, right. and controls. Uh, on the opening day of the World Cup, and I'm reading this uh, from an article, the government unexpectedly announced unpopular pension reform legislation to raise the retirement age of eight years by eight years for women and five years for men. But guess what's on the news, Jack? Do you think that they were talking about uh, the retirement being extended eight years?
1: No, they were talking about Russia beating Saudi Arabia in the opening game of the World Cup. Exactly. Exactly.
0: By controlling the news waves by just jamming the news with all these different stories about the, the, the event that you're hosting. It takes away attention from some of these uh, human rights abuses that might be occurring. And so are we gonna see that with Qatar? Are they gonna use that opportunity to pass something or just take some heat off them? Of course, of course we're gonna see that because we've seen that before. We could even look at the Beijing Olympics uh and if china hosts another world cup or not another world cup they're going to host the olympics but if they are as they are rumored to be doing putting in a, a, a bid to host the 2030 or the 2034 world cup we're going to see like in 2008 such crazy sports washing for a country that uh is now getting known for not being the greatest place for human rights and you know we, we see that because they have decorated their country in order to be uh, this very glamorous place. And you can, see, you can see this in China and Russia and Qatar. Uh, the, Qatar and China before, they paint themselves as a, a very attractive country, a very stable country. China used that, used that, that 2008 World Cup as a way to broadcast to millions of people, their power and stability. And that's one of the major takeaways that we see from uh, these events being hosted by such not exactly great countries. Jack, do you have anything to uh, add on to that?
1: No, not really, but I guess we could kind of shift to, how can we fix it, if we can? Is is there a I, way to dismantle it? Uh, given how ingrained it is.
0: Well, I, I have a. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually answer your question with a question okay, okay. first of all. Uh, and, and that question is: Are we as fans? Because when, when we're talking about dismantling this, I think it all starts with most people's strategies start with the fans. But are we complicit as soccer viewers in aiding and abetting sports washing? Because we are talking or going to be watching the 2022 World Cup. We are talking and referring to Man City and we're mentioning their stadium name and we're talking about them. We're giving them airtime. Are we complicit in this act?
1: I mean, it's kind of, it's I guess in a way, yes, because you are giving them money by watching them, by buying kits, by, uh, you know, by supporting the team so in a way yes and also whether you like it or not you're giving them a piece of your mind basically uh or that that that's a different expression you're you're (laughs) letting you're uh you're kind of letting them get into your head about about these things that and kind Mm -hmm. of almost brainwash you into into thinking these things although they can't legitimately control you they they can subconsciously do so so i guess Yes, uh, sort of. Follow
0: follow up question to that, right? It's it's one thing to be a fan of, let's say, Man City or PSG. Uh, I actually met a Man City fan uh, yesterday, and it was funny because you know we're we're talking about this. I I really wanted to ask him, like, do you know uh, what's going on there? (laughs) Because because you're you're right, you know. Once once they're in your mind, and if you don't really care, don't really know, it it gets it's hard to let that go. But it's one thing for you know like that person to be a fan of Manchester City and another to just be a casual soccer fan that's say watching the 2022 World Cup. This is a big you know topic of discussion in terms of fighting sports washing. Is it morally right to watch the 2022 World Cup given how unprecedented the human rights violations are in Qatar? Jack, what do you think about it? It's a, it's a tough question because <sighs> Obviously, we've been talking about this for the past, what, 10 years at this point.
1: Yeah, it, it's really tough because, you know, you can think about past events. Almost, like, a lot of World Cups have had a lot of problems behind it. Russia, tons of problems behind it. Still record viewership. Uh, and, you know, going back Argentina in 1978, still got viewership, airtime, all that kind of stuff. I, I guess, like, it, it's probably not great... Morally, to give them that, that airtime, but I guess it also goes into what kind of lens you're viewing it through. Are you viewing it, the World Cup with an intent to, uh, like specifically celebrate the country and like and like? Are you going to be like, oh wow, this is a really cool stadium, or like this is a great atmosphere, or are you more watching it for the game itself? Because if you're just watching it for the game, then it's not terrible. I guess, but if you're watching it with and uh, you're uh, you're in the mindset of thinking like, oh, I can't wait to see like all of the all of the like stadiums and the atmosphere, and all that. That's problematic. That's when it gets to be more problematic. I guess. D-
0: I understand that, but also at the same time, viewership is viewership, right? Yeah, true. Y- y- your eyes are going to that to, to that screen, and it's getting counted for sponsorship money. That,
1: that's why it's tough. Because that that's why it's tough. Are
0: Jack? Are you going to be watching like, the the twenty twenty two World Cup?
1: the th- The thing is, like, as much as I would like to say I want to boycott it, I know that I probably will anyway, and that's 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 the reality of you it. You probably will watch it, right? Yeah, I pro I probably will watch it anyway because you know, like it or not, that 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 is kind of how it how it's worked out. It, it's gotten so embedded in this that, like, uh, you know people are going to watch it no matter what.
0: Yeah, oh. and that's dangerous sports washing. So Jack, w- what could we do to help fight sports washing?
1: I mean, one of the things is like uh what human human rights groups should keep up the work they're doing obviously. Uh keep, you know, putting the pressure on these countries and saying like, "Hey, you're you're getting worse and worse," and then bringing that attention to you know, leaders of countries, uh, I mean, it, it hasn't worked in the past, but you've got to keep up the pressure. <laughs> yeah. It, like, it's the same idea in, in soccer. Sure, pressing uh, pressing uh, the opposition doesn't always work, but every once in a while you're sc- you'll get a turnover and you'll be able to score a goal. So, you know, you've got to keep up the pressure on these countries through independent organizations and stuff like that. And also, uh, I mean, as fans... We can be cognizant of some of these things instead of just like, you know, blindly supporting some things or like, uh, or you know, all of that kind of stuff. They, uh, like, do do some reflecting on it and like think uh, think more critically about it. Don't just like uh, support your ownership, especially if you're a Man City or PSG fan, because they they put money into the club. You can you can be happy they're putting money into the club, fine, but like. Recognize that they're not perfect just because they're putting money into your club. and you know it, it's it's tough because it it's 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 very difficult to tear down a, a system that's established itself so quickly. Uh, you know the, it, without any really recognizable weaknesses, because pretty much everyone who has the power to change it is already in the mindset and uh, already or in the pocket uh, book of those countries. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very tough to do it, uh, to to like do anything, I guess. But those are probably the best, the best things I can think about.
0: I'll go one step further and say straight up don't support Man City or PSG.
1: True. Yeah, but if you're a like- new fan that's getting into it, just don't do it or if you're an old fan, well, I guess Man City's different cuz yeah, there's a there, lot of there history to too. PSG has history as well. Like I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. it's different if you're a fan of these of these teams from before and you still support them because most of the fans that are like uh, that I've seen like on the internet and stuff that are older fans, they actively call out their ownership for uh, and the yeah. countries that own them. But it's all, almost always the new fans mm-hmm. who get into it. So, if you're a new fan getting into soccer, just don't support them. It yeah. Doesn't matter who's on their team. Just yeah.
0: Even if you have been a fan for Man City, just stop it. <laughs> just uh, that's, stop. My, that's my opinion. Uh, don't buy anything related to the Qatar World Cup. I know it's hard to like really delineate and draw the line there, but yeah, you know, just just something to avoid. I I I think it's one thing to be cognizant of something and one thing to actively refrain from aiding and abetting all right jack that is it for this episode where can people find us on social media
1: they can find us at final third show on twitter uh check out prediction games on there you can check out other polls that we might release about episodes you can look for different uh, reactions to matches or uh other takes or and opinions on news in the soccer world so just give us a follow on there. You know, hit the notification bell if you want to uh, be informed <laughs> of the latest tweets. You don't have to do that. We're not a YouTube channel, so we don't need to ask about the notification yeah. bell. So there I'll you go. Ask Just, for it. Yeah, I mean, we, we'll ask for it anyway, maybe. But we don't need it. But do it anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I could say the same thing for uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. Give us a rating there. If we read out any five-star reviews, uh, but also you can also follow us there uh, and you can also put on the notification bell for that one as well. Uh, I know on Spotify, I get notifications for my favorite podcast. So like Jack was saying, do that too. Uh, tell your friend about the show. Tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he would love to hear about sports washing. I don't know. I don't know if that's really the case. I'm sure he would love to learn about it. Uh, that might be something that he's more interested in. We'll see you guys this uh, upcoming Monday for our news and predictions episode. All right, uh, yeah, so we'll see you uh, at the same time, same place for that next week. And yeah, thank you for listening. See ya. Bye for now.